I wanna thank you for joining in to the Bible study again this evening. And as usual, I wanna encourage you to have your Bibles open, available there in front of you and join me in 2 Corinthians chapter two. We're gonna pick up in verse 12. And at this point, there can be no doubt that Paul's enemies within the church, and that's really what they are, and enemies of the church, in fact, are criticizing the Apostle Paul for everything. He basically cannot get away with anything. Every decision is criticized. Up to this point in the letter, Paul has been telling the believers at Corinth about the pressure that he's under, about the problems that he has had to deal with, and even the problems that are existing there in the church at Corinth. The fact is, his spirit is troubled. That will become very clear here in a moment. Out of this troubled spirit, out of this restlessness, he will begin to communicate to us about the power that sustains him in ministry that is this troubled. Note in verse 12, furthermore, he's continuing the story. When I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened unto me of the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit, because I found not Titus my brother. But taking my leave of them, I went from thence, from Troas to Macedonia. Now, he's clearly telling us some travel itinerary facts. I went to Troas, to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened unto me to share the gospel of Christ. But Titus wasn't there. I had no rest in my spirit. Even though I had an open door for the gospel, I had a restless spirit. So I left Troas and I went to Macedonia. He's telling us something. There is a true restlessness in his spirit. That is giving us insight into this moment as the Apostle Paul will continue to write. He's telling us about his restless spirit. He is communicating to them very clearly, as we recall, he has been attacked for his change of itinerary, change of travel plans. He's articulating to them why his plans changed. Just note again. I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel. A door was opened unto me of the Lord. The Lord gave me an open door to preach it. Yet I had no rest in my spirit because Titus, my brother, I could not find him at Troas and he was expecting to meet him at Troas. So I left there in Troas didn't seize this open door of opportunity for Christ's gospel, going to Macedonia because my spirit was restless. In effect, I was so preoccupied with how you at Corinth had received my letter that I had no peace of mind. He was living with what we might call, and I would understand as pastoral anxiety. No rest in his mind. Why? He didn't find Titus there. But he wants us to understand something, and this is what is highlighted. His concern for the church at Corinth was at the top of his list of concerns. 
He's revealing his heart to the church at Corinth, and he's telling us about true gospel ministry. True gospel ministry will at times involve anxious care. I'm struck by the fact that an open door of opportunity for communicating the gospel of Jesus existed there at Troas, and yet Paul says, I, I wasn't able to seize it. I was restless. I was not happy in my spirit. He went to Macedonia from Troas. Now, you got to wait a little bit to pick up on what happens in Troas, but listen to this from chapter 7. He's going to tell us, and when I got to Troas, for when we were come into Macedonia, I apologize, not Troas, now Macedonia, our flesh had no rest. But we were troubled on every side, without were fightings, within were fears. Nevertheless, God comforteth those that are cast down, comforted us by the coming of Titus. Now, you have to wait chapters and you have to kind of put it together chronologically. I was at Troas, an open door of opportunity for the gospel was there. I was restless in my spirit because I could not find Titus at Troas. That's where we were supposed to meet. I left there and went to Macedonia, and that happens in chapter 7 where he says, but our flesh had no rest. It continues with this restless spirit even in Macedonia. Do you get the picture now? This true pastoral anxiety. He loves the Corinthian Christians. And by the way, they were a pretty messed up group. As we studied in the first letter, they were fighting with internal division and lawsuits amongst Christians and immorality in their midst, idolatry, immaturity, spiritually speaking, and yet Paul loved them. Troas, no rest. Macedonia, no rest. He cannot settle down until Titus finally arrives with news of how the church at Corinth had received his corrective letter. That's why he wanted to meet him at Troas. That's why he went on to Macedonia. He had no rest until he connected with Titus there in that place. True gospel ministry, no doubt about it, brings some concern for the flock of God. Pastorally speaking, Paul is saying, you are in my heart. I am concerned for your spirituality. I am burdened for how you received that letter and how you think of me. There is a burden that exists there. And when Titus comes, he's able to tell him, in fact, the church at Corinth did receive your admonition well. They have responded. They have addressed the issue. There has been repentance and love. Love, anxious love, is a part of effective ministry. This is part of the internal struggle that Paul is dealing with. Without we're problems, fightings. Within, we're fears. The weight of the churches, he'll use that term. This is part of it. How did they receive the letter? I, I have an open door of opportunity, but I cannot seize it because I am so concerned with this group of people who are there in Corinth. One wrote this, if you are going to impact people for Christ, lovelessness is not an option. And if you are going to love the people of God and you are going to reach people with the gospel and you are going to watch them live their life, there will be anxious moments. Paul told us this. This is part of his 
internal struggle. Let me reference what he writes later in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty eight. Besides those things that are without, and that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. That's not just administrative care that he's talking about. There is a spiritual aspect to the office of the pastor that carries with it an internal anxiety for the state of the flock. In your heart, that's what he's saying. This is how I work. His passion for the gospel brought him to Troas, but his love for the Corinthians actually kept him from staying there. It's not until chapter 7 and verse 5 that he'll tell us about Macedonia and that Tro, I'm sorry, that Titus finally arrives and gives him the good news. He has a restless spirit. So in the midst of all the pressure, in the midst of all the criticism, in the midst of all the problems, he has a restless spirit. Now what he's going to do is he's going to change tone abruptly in verse 14. He's going to burst out with thanksgiving and he's going to talk about triumph. And that's kind of the crux of this study this evening. How to have sustaining power in the midst of hard ministry. He has not just a restless spirit. He now tells us, even though his spirit is restless, he also has a triumphant spirit. And we have to unpack that to understand what he's saying. Note verse 14. Now, thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. Now note for just a second and understand what the Apostle Paul is saying here. We have to grasp what he has in mind when he uses that word triumph. He's talking in what the reader would have immediately been able to visualize was the imagery of the triumphal Roman procession of the day. History will tell us that a triumph of the first order featured the conquering general riding in a triumphal chariot drawn by four horses and in some triumphs, even elephants. He would have been clothed in a purple toga. He would have had his hands full with a scepter crowned by an eagle and his face would have been tinted red in reference to the god Jupiter. Now just understand that little historical note allows us to see what the Corinthian believer would have visualized. And what Paul is saying is probably not what you think or what might seem immediately apparent. I have a restless spirit. There's a lot that I'm dealing with externally and internally. You're critiquing me and attacking me, but I have a sustaining power that goes beyond my internal resources, what I have. I am triumphant in Christ. Now, what's beautiful here is to understand, I don't imagine that Paul sees himself at this moment in time as the conquering general carrying the scepter, riding in the chariot at the front of the procession. But rather, what he is telling us is, I am conquered and I am following in the procession conquered by Jesus Christ. Now, that word is used again in Colossians 2 and verse 15. Listen in. Having, speaking of Jesus, spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Paul says here 
that God is leading the devil in triumph. And in 2 Corinthians, he is saying, and God is leading me, Paul, in triumph. My triumph is in Christ. Paul is considering himself at this moment a conquered prisoner of Jesus Christ. And that enables him, when he says, I am in Christ, that makes all the difference in the world and allows his troubled and attacked and criticized and restless spirit to also be triumphant. Isn't that paradoxical? He has strength in weakness. He's triumphant even in his restlessness. Another wrote, it's only in chains that we are mighty. It's only in weakness that Jesus gets the glory and wins the victory. It's possible, though paradoxical, to have a restless and triumphant spirit all at the same time. Triumphant in Christ. He also used an interesting phrase in that verse. I am in this triumphal procession as a conquered prisoner of Jesus Christ, a bondservant to Jesus Christ. But then he said this in the second part of verse 14, and maketh manifest, makes known, emits the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. Now let's continue the analogy. That's what the word enables. The word savor there is picturing the incense that was burned along the way of this triumphal procession. Paul's trying to help us see this. I think this is really helpful. As Paul was led by God as a conquered prisoner, he's continuing this imagery of the victory procession. He is saying, everywhere I walk, I emit the fragrance of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Think about that. The fragrance. One said, if a fragrance is smelt, a person is known. You ever come up on somebody who has a really strong perfume or cologne on? <laughs> Some strong body odor and you cannot deny that they're there. And maybe you begin to associate a scent with that individual's presence. That's really what Paul is helping us to see here. I, Paul is saying, smell like Jesus. Everywhere that I go, I emit the fragrance of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now, he's going to change this word. It's really important to understand. He gets into verse 15. Now listen. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. Verse 16. To the one we are the savor of death unto death and to the other the savor of life unto life. So just stick with me a second. This is a little bit of a word study. Savor that he uses... In the first part there of verse 14 helps us to see this imagery of this procession. Everywhere I walk, I smell like Jesus. I emit the fragrance of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now in verse 15, he switches the word for savor. And he's talking again about an aroma, but he uses this. We are unto God a sweet savor of Christ. Unto God... We smell, we are a sweet aroma, we emit the aroma of Christ unto God. Regardless of the human response to the message, because to some it's the smell of death and to others it's the smell of life, regardless of human response, our preaching the gospel ministry emits the aroma of Jesus Christ unto God. 
picturing this now, that he is spreading a fragrance of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, and the first to smell it is God. It's unto God. Like incense that is offered unto God. He is conveying sacrificial imagery. That's the switch in the word. We are an aroma, a fragrance emitted of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, and this aroma of Christ rises first unto God. Ephesians 5.2 tells us this. Walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. The sacrifice of Jesus was a sweet-smelling savor unto God. When Christ died for sinners, it was like a fragrant offering that was pleasing unto God. And now Paul is saying, as a missionary, as an apostle of Christ, standing here, suffering like Christ, I'm here in this service for Christ, and I'm emitting an aroma unto God. That's pretty awesome to see. When I tell the gospel of Jesus Christ, the scent, the aroma of the sacrifice of Christ is unto God. There's also a horizontal effect to it because he said to the one, we are the savor of death unto death and to the other, the savor of life unto life. Now stick with me just a second. He switches the word savor back to the imagery of this triumphant procession. And to the victors, that smell, that incense would smell like life. And to the conquered, that incense, that smell would smell like death. It has different connotations depending on which side you are on. And Paul is saying, unto some that receive life, it smells like life. And unto those who reject it, it smells like death. John 3.36 illuminates that a little. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Can you imagine that you can have a restless spirit and paradoxically a triumphant spirit at the same time? A savoring spirit. When you navigate hard times in ministry in a world that wants to reject the truth, you can smell like Jesus. The reason you are triumphant is not because of what you have as a resource, but because you are in Christ, conquered by the love, conquered by the grace of Jesus Christ, his bondservant, his prisoner. Following him, you emit the fragrance of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, preaching the gospel, suffering hardship. It, as we tell the truth of Jesus to a lost world, ignites, as it were, that aroma unto God. He's the one that we are doing this for because we cannot control the human response. Back to the vision, uh, the, the visual imagery of the procession. To some, it smells like death. To others, it smells like life. Paul is telling us we can have a savoring, a smelly, as it were, an aromatic, a fragrant spirit. And then he concludes, or at least for the sake of our study this evening, in verse 16, he says, Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Think about what he's saying. He's clearly ending with a flurry of punches in that verse. He's saying, I have a sincere spirit. He starts by saying, who is sufficient for these things? What in the world does he mean? Who is sufficient for these things? 
One wrote this, In effect, who is able to bear the weight of knowing that the aroma of your Christ-exalting life will lead some to eternal life and others to eternal death? The answer immediately is no one. Paul is not claiming self-sufficiency even for the ministry. He states that beautifully in the next chapter where he'll say in chapter 3 and verse 5, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. Then he's clarifying. This is the flurry of punches that comes in. We are not as many who corrupt the word of God. Now he's pointing his finger back at these peddlers of corrupt doctrine, these criticizers that are in the church, these Judaizers who are adding law to grace, these who were accusing him of being carnal and flippant. He's not like them. That's not how I minister, he's saying. I'm not like the many who corrupt the word of God. That word corrupt just I. Uh, communicates those who at the marketplace would dilute the wine with a lot of water or use false balances. They're deceivers. They're tricks. They're not after lifting up and exalting Jesus Christ. They're after money. And Paul's saying, I never water down the word of God to make it palatable. I never test the wind. I never test out the crowd. I just tell you the truth. One said he never practiced the homiletics of consensus. He didn't hold back. Didn't mean he was mean. It didn't mean that he instituted his preferences. He just told people the truth about Jesus. He just told people the truth about what Jesus had told him to tell them. He was of a sincere spirit. There's no freer way to minister than to minister sincerely. And therein lies the flurry of punches. I'm not like the many who are corruptors. I'm not like the many that are there stirring up division and criticizing and attacking. I'm not like them. I minister of sincerity. I minister as of God. I minister in the sight of God. I speak in Christ of sincerity. Wherever I speak, Paul is saying, I am wholly sincere. His preaching, to use what the Puritan would say, came out of the inward affection of the heart without any affectation. He was not a showman. He just gave people the word. Certainly his personality came through. He just told people the truth. Are you and I sincere? Are we real? Can people pick up on that transparency? Do you mean what you say? Do you renounce all hypocrisy and pretense? He said, when I speak, it's of sincerity. It's of God. I'm commissioned by God. I'm not looking for the applause of man. I am commissioned of God. I know for a fact my commission came from Jesus. That's how I preach. I preach for that audience. I preach words that are not my own. They are his. I don't try to instill in you the doctrine of the mentality of the Apostle Paul, but I'm commissioned by God and I tell you what Jesus says. I draw my strength and guidance from His Word, from His Holy Spirit's power, not from my own. He said, I am in the sight of God. Literally, as opposed to all of those 
conniving criticizers who are trying to make you think less of me and attack me. I stand in sincerity of spirit and I live with the awareness that everything I say, I do so in the sight of God. Do they? Do they live with the reverence and sober fear that God is watching? You don't get to lie for free. You don't get to critique and attack with no cost associated. He said, I live as though it is before God. I tremble. I walk humbly with no thought of who will praise me other than that God is my audience. He's my judge, not you. Not the criticizers, not the attackers. Will you care more? Will I care more about what God thinks? Or will I be deterred by this human criticism? I'm in Christ. That's how he spoke. Speak we in Christ. My preaching flows from my life in Christ. From my walk with Christ. My identity, my assurance is that I am in Christ. We have kind of kept a a theme going through this, effective gospel ministry. And as we got to this little segment of verses tonight, I have enjoyed the study myself. Paul's churned up inside. He has a restless spirit. He is at Troas really wanting Titus to be there so that he can hear how his letter to the Corinthians was received. Titus isn't there. Now, an open door of the gospel is there. But his spirit has no rest, so he leaves Troas. Now, he'll go back. God keeps the door open. He does work in Troas, but on to Macedonia. Still has no rest in his flesh until Titus arrives, and he understands that the letter was received well. How do you press on with that kind of anxiety and care for the flock, where people matter to you and reaching them with the gospel and watching them grow? You can have a triumphant spirit and a restless spirit at the same time as you are aware that you are conquered by Christ. You can have a fragrant spirit emitting everywhere you walk the fragrance of Jesus, preaching the gospel and that aroma is unto God. To others, maybe it's death unto death. To some, it will be life unto life, but you don't have to bear that. Your sufficiency is of God. Just be sincere. Don't be like many who corrupt. Don't be like many who attack. Don't be like many who critique. Don't be like many who divide. Of a sincere spirit, with the awareness that you are called of God, that you are doing all that you do in the sight of God, and speak in Christ. All for the audience. That's how you sustain it. That's how you press on. The ultimate assessor is the Lord Jesus Christ. Critics come and go. Hard seasons come and go. The assessment of Jesus is eternal. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can be equipped with the truth for effective gospel ministry in a world that wants to reject the truth. Help us to be even this week busy about proclaiming the gospel. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening this week to the Graceway Baptist Church podcast. For more information about our church and our ministries, head on over to our website at gracewaycharlotte.org. We are a church located in South Charlotte. We are growing and our ministries are doing big things for Christ. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, email us at info at gracewaycharlotte.org. Also, stay in the loop with everything happening by following us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle is Graceway Charlotte. Thanks again for listening to the Graceway Charlotte podcast. We'll see you next week.